0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Marquia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those sheltering within the dark with us for the first time, welcome. It's always darkest before the dawn. I've heard that many times in my life, and The thing that people assume is that the light will save us. Because light is a comfort to us, isn't it? We're forever reaching for the light switch first. If you can see it, you know what to fight, right? But the eye-catching brightness of a ghost can blind you to the darkness around and behind it. Those deep dark spaces the light doesn't touch. Spaces filled with shadows, always watching always waiting First, a real-life encounter with a creepy pasta monster. Next, a picture is worth a thousand screams. After that, a Filipino legend guides us to fortune or doom. And finally, the final light speaks in the classic creepy pasta gateway of the mind. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. As always, the first story you hear is one that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. Then I read a few more stories for the podcast. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, consider joining our Patreon. Our patrons play a huge role in keeping the show running every single week. For more information on how you can help the show and also be a part of it, visit patreon.com snarled. So, want to hear something scary? Bright Like Knives. Some songs can take you on a journey through the highway. Other songs can invite something sinister out to cross your path. With a smile, a smile bright like knives in the dark. This is based on a true story. My friend Denny and I had just finished 12 straight hours of karaoke at three different venues across Los Angeles. I felt like I'd run a kind of spiritual marathon. That's when my stomach rumbled and I recommended grabbing some food. Denny coolly agreed as he fiddled with his phone, but I could see exhaustion creeping across his face. I drove on towards the discount diner, idly taking notice of the couple of turns the GPS asked me to take. When I looked up, I was surprised when I'd found myself on a stretch of road wholly unfamiliar to me. The long stretch was four lanes wide and dotted by street lamps on the passenger side every half block or so. In the moonless night, the lights made the road look like a hallway of shadow, punctuated by cones of orange-yellow light. With each street lamp passed, I grew increasingly uneasy about being the only car on that sparsely lit stretch of road. No headlights ahead or behind. And if it wasn't for Denny sitting next to me, I might've actually been scared. But that was before I saw it. Coming up in the distance, less than a mile away, I noticed the black outline of a person shuffling slowly across the road. The shape moved along the dark space between two street lamps, but I could see their silhouette shambling. I narrowed my eyes and turned to attention, observing the shape's slow walk, realizing it looked more and more erratic. The deep shadow it was in made it hard to tell much, but the limbs, they didn't move right. Its arms waved in slow arcs, up, then down, first one, then the other. Its legs didn't step one after another, more like joining together, then separating apart. A slow chill crept up the back of my neck and spread across my shoulders in icy waves. Both hands tightened the wheel, trying to push back the goose flesh spreading down my arms. Then I dropped my speed to a near crawl without realizing. What's up, Denny said. I need to slow down or else I might hit this dude on the road, I said. Denny finally looked at the road and set up. What do you mean? Wait, who's that and what's he doing? As the car lights washed up on the figure's feet, I could see normal sneakers, but they were pointed away from us. Then I could see they were doing a kind of sideways crab walk, legs joining together before taking another step and long exaggerated arcs. But if this person could sense a car approaching from either the headlights coming towards it or the approaching sound of the engine, they gave no notice. The figure kept its steady shuffle all while facing away from us. The car's lights rose to the shape's torso as it continued to flail its arms with each step, up and down like languid snakes. Unable to take my eyes off the shape now, the car lights fully put it into view. Who the hell is this person? Denny's voice dropped to a whisper. It was then as if it heard us talking, The shape raised up both its arms, forming a halo around its upper body, and in one fluid turn, picked up its right leg and swung around in mechanical pirouette, like a jewelry box ballerina. With this motion, it turned to face us. My arms locked and my hands gripped as if to choke the wheel. I felt myself veering into the next lane, trying to give it a wide berth. And for only a second, the car's headlight glow had made its face visible in spite of the night. Teeth, it's all teeth, my mind reeled. Razor thin lips parted and turned up at the corners to show a perfect set of teeth locked into a menacing smile. Each tooth, incisor to canine, broke through the night and somehow shone bright, reflecting the light like knives against the dark. And though I was transfixed by this impossibly big smile, my mind scanned the grin for something that would reveal the figure's intentions. As we passed it on the right, I struggled with what else I saw. Above the all too big grin passed a nondescript nose to lock on its eyes. In place of normal eyes, twin black pools stared back at mine, as if each pupil had overflowed, spreading its darkness to the corners of his eyelids, threatening to spill even beyond that. They shimmered with the orange light of the street lamps. I had stopped completely. When had I put my foot down on the brake? When had I turned off the car, for that matter? I could only stare at my hands, also clenched fists, strangling the wheel, and as if underwater, I heard muffled cries next to me. Was Denny yelling at me? Unlock door, is what I thought I heard, but it was dampened, as if shouted from inside a giant fish tank. My ears followed the sound of a softly rapping knuckle against the driver's side window. And as I looked up to my left, I saw the final street lamp's light, and if somehow darkness could glow, that's exactly what the shape's eyes did. The dark pools I had dared to look into hovered on the other side of the glass, and they expanded, overflowing beyond the natural shapes of eyes, almost gulping the final light. Then the last thing I remember was teeth, perfect teeth and a giant humorless smile. A police siren's scream startled me awake. Red and blue flashing lights shone bright in the breaking dawn. Regaining consciousness, I felt as if I'd been dragged out of a lake. But then I realized it was my own sweat that had drenched my clothes. I was still on the road, still in the car. That's when I looked over to the passenger side. The door was nearly pulled off its hinge, its metal frame slightly warped and pulled back as if peeled. Broken glass sparkled where Denny had sat, but the chair was empty. In its place, jagged glass glinted like cheap diamonds and pooled between the broken pieces in the seat and on the floor mat was caked blood. It collected in small crimson puddles with an ominous smear trailing out of the car onto the road, then disappearing entirely merely feet away. I never saw Denny again, not as he was at least. No, but there have been a couple of nights since times when the guards had to force their way into my cell at an ungodly hour and beat me unconscious just to get my screaming to stop that I think I've seen Denny through the barred window of my cell at the edge of the sparse prison courtyard below engulfed by the night. Yes, I think I've seen Denny shambling oddly and frozen on his face as a giant, perfect smile.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: Pictures are worth a thousand words, especially when they reveal haunting truths, like in this story inspired by Audrey. The old house was majestic, covered in ivy and swirls of colorful graffiti. It was golden hour that last hour of sun before the night would claim the sky. Celeste stopped to take pictures of this gem that rested within an equally old neighborhood rife with suburban decay. Her 13-year-old daughter, Mariah, rolled her eyes. Do we have to? Anita, the youngest, was out of their parked car running toward the old house first. Celeste teasingly pushed Mariah forward and they both chased after the rambunctious 11-year-old. The house would make for some great portfolio selections, and maybe a gallery would take interest, Celeste thought as they caught up to Anita. The young girl was waving at the front window.
0: The old lady said to come
1: in, Anita responded and opened the gate. Mariah looked at her mom, uh, what old lady, I didn't hear anyone. Did you mom? It's probably a joke, doesn't look like anybody's lived here for years, Celeste murmured back. Stepping past the gate, cloud cover moved aside, spilling a beautiful glow onto the empty and greatly overgrown garden. It was filled with random art pieces scattered around. Twinkling in the light, there were multiple blown glass figurines of various animals, garden ornaments, and flower vases. Celeste snapped away as her daughters explored. Mariah called her mother over to the open garage area and showed her what looked like the artist's old workshop, Occupied by rusted over machinery. Celeste moved around, capturing multiple angles and shots. While her mother worked, Mariah spied a gorgeous blue glass horse sitting to the side. Unlike the condition of the other weather exposed figurines, this was in pristine condition. Mariah pocketed it. Suddenly, there was a thack of falling wood and a scream. It was Anita. Celeste and Mariah rushed over to the sound, it was further in the backyard. They found Anita sprawled amongst a pile of cobwebby lumber, her lip trembling, and across her lap lay an old, frayed, looped rope. Celeste couldn't help it. She took several shots before helping her out of the mess. Anita sniffled. The old lady tricked me. She said to come back here, but then she jumped at me and made me take this. Anita held up the rope. Celeste recognized the knot now. It was a noose. Celeste knocked the rope out of her hand and demanded to know where this lady was. Anita pointed to the tall, overgrown shrubbery behind them, pointed to the darkness within it, where the waning light couldn't touch. There, in the shadows, they saw two small gleams of reflected light, and the leaves moved. It was as if something or someone was inside watching them as the light continued to fade. Mariah gasped. That's really weird. Mom, are we done? Spooked, Celeste took a few quick shots of the greenery, then pulled her girls towards the car. It was time to go. The light was almost gone anyway. In her basement darkroom that night, Celeste dipped the images and developed them into 8x10s to show her agent. These would sell for Sure. That was really creepy at the end, though, she thought to herself. As the images formed, one of them immediately caught her eye. It was her shot of the house as they entered the gate. In the window, there was a face. It was pale and drawn, staring at them in the garden. But there hadn't been anybody there, right? Celeste murmured out loud. I guess maybe I just didn't notice them. As she processed more images, increasingly becoming more shocked, she noticed something odd off to the side. It was a willowy figure in a tattered dress, looking over its shoulder at Anita. It looked like Anita was walking closer to it, being led away by it. "'The old woman?' Celeste whispered questioningly to herself. In a picture Celeste had taken from within the garage— The angle outside showed Anita smiling up at the figure, holding her hands out as if to accept something. The side profile of the figure was one of an old woman, smirking as she gazed back at her daughter. She wasn't done developing the pictures, but the next one had her jumping out of her seat and leaving her dark room. It was the one she took of Anita in the woodpile with the old rope. The picture was crystal clear and sharp, all except for Anita's face. Her daughter's face was blurred. It almost looked as if two faces were in it. Yanking open her laptop in her basement office, outside of the dark room, Celeste typed in the address of the house. Last known owner, Diana Crane, artist, deceased at 76, was found hanging in her backyard. Death ruled a suicide. No living family members left. The house set, apparently unsellable due to its history. Celeste's eyes widened as she saw that Diana Crane had been the person of interest in several murders before her apparent suicide. There were many reports of hauntings attached to the property after Crane's death. There was a loud slam from the living room. Celeste reflexively grabbed her digital camera as she ran upstairs. Give it back to me, she heard Mariah shout. It's mine, Anita roared back at her. Celeste ran into the living room. Her youngest stared at her sister with the strangest look in her eyes. Wow, if looks could kill, Celeste thought to herself. Mom, tell her I found it fair and square. Mariah held up the blown glass horse she had snagged from the old house. Anita snarled and jumped on her sister, punching her in the face and yanking the figurine out of her hands. With a fierce grip on the horse, Anita backed up into a corner, snarling at them both. Astonished, Celeste stared at her as Mariah howled in pain. Gulping, she raised her digital camera up and snapped a picture of Anita. Celeste's hands shook as she checked the picture. In it, her daughter's face was gone, In its place was the old woman from the garden. Diana? She croaked out disbelievingly. Anita stared back at her and then smirked. Thank you so much, Audrey, for inspiring this story for us. So, would you explore a place to see if it was haunted? And let's keep in mind, you're not going to look up and go to a place. Just something like an old building, something that's surrendering to suburban decay. Just something to keep in mind if you are someone that does exploration like that. You're inviting in all of the history of that place because in retrospect, maybe that is why it invited you. Stories handed down from our grandparents can be a mixture of horror and great wisdom, like in this story of a trial by fire, told to and inspired by Thea. After a long day in the rice fields, I was ready to go home to my wife, my dearest Rosamy. It was getting late and the sun was quickly setting as I rushed to my boat, my basket heavy on my back. Reaching where I'd latched my boat, I saw a thief make off with it, paddling down the stream too far away to do anything about it i waited forward anyway yelling at them and beseeching them to not leave me out here for sant elmo to find trying to reach any kernel of decency they had left i retreated back to shore and pulled my lantern from my satchel i sighed at the low level of oil within it as i lit it maybe maybe i could make it back before it died the night was moonless as I moved as fast as I could, the long way by foot to the village. I hoped I could make it far enough before my light went out, because when it did, I would have to stop. Rosamie, my sweetheart, would wait up for me, but I dare not venture further once the light died, lest I lose my way. That's when I saw it. The small blue orb of light was unmistakable. I stepped back as it got closer to me, God be with me, I said a prayer. The light was that of St. Elmo. In my village, we knew that its appearance meant an uncertain fate would befall whoever it encountered. Scared, I watched as it settled over the sputtering light in my lantern, taking it over, burning bright and hot. With it, a strange force began to pull me away. Quickly, I pulled the straps of the basket on my back tighter, my feet compelled forward. The fire of St. Elmo had found me. Rumors said that the fire of St. Elmo would either lead you to good fortune or to your death. I prayed that it was the former. With a deep breath, I carried on. Time itself had no meaning anymore. It felt like I was traveling much faster and longer than I had ever walked before until... I heard someone cry for help in the roaring river. The blue light shined over the river. There was my boat. How in the world could I have caught up to it? It was overturned near the shore. And there, there was the thief. He held on for dear life to the rocks nearby, the current too fast for him to reach safety. In a hurry, I flipped my boat over, placing my lantern on its pole and my basket inside. Once on board, I heard the thief call out to me to help them. Grips with indecision, I then sighed and turned the boat towards them. I couldn't just let the idiot die, honestly, who pilots a boat at night without a light to guide them? I sailed toward him, the blue light lighting my way. I pulled him up and into my humble working boat. He thanked me and apologized. I didn't know him. And I didn't know what to say to him other than once we reached calmer waters, he would get off and walk to wherever he was going. Surprisingly, the added weight distribution actually helped us get over the rough waters much safer than when I do it alone. The lantern shined over the both of us as I navigated the river, but never, ever trust a thief. Once in calmer waters, I felt the boat shift as he walked up behind me, Quickly, I looked at him, the blue fire shining on his face, a blade clenched in his hand pointed over me. Just then, the light roared out of the lantern. It flew through me. The sensation was like nothing I had ever felt before. The light continued on and flew into the thief. The thief's body was immediately engulfed in flames, fiercely burning him alive. His screams stopped, just as he toppled off the boat and into the waters where the crocodiles would feast, my boat and I were mysteriously spared. The light was gone, but the sky was lightning. Soon the sun would rise. I floated into my village. My wife waited by the dock, calling my name. Juan, you're safe. I hugged her so close and I told her about the perilous journey I took to find my way back to her, how the fire of Sant Elmo guided me home, and also how its flame took the life of another. Thank you so much, Thea, for inspiring this story. And I believe you said that your grandfather had told this to you. It was his real life experience. I love this. And for our listeners out there, if there are any legends in your culture that are known to smite or bless whomever encounter them, please share this with us. Email us at somethingscary@snarl.com. Scientists open a channel for a man to reach the light at the end of the tunnel. We find out what happens when he speaks to the voice on the other side in this anonymous creepypasta. In 1983, a team of deeply pious scientists conducted a radical experiment in an undisclosed facility. The scientists had theorized that a human without access to any senses or ways to perceive stimuli would be able to perceive the presence of God. They believed that the five senses clouded our awareness of eternity, and without them, a human could actually establish contact with God by thought. An elderly man who claimed to have nothing left to live for was the only test subject to volunteer. To purge him of all his senses, the scientists performed a complex operation in which every sensory nerve connection to the brain was surgically severed. Although the test subject retained full muscular function, he could not see, hear, taste, smell, or feel. With no possible way to communicate with or even sense the outside world, he was alone with his thoughts. Scientists monitored him as he spoke aloud about his state of mind and jumbled, slurred sentences that he couldn't even hear. After four days, the man claimed to be hearing hushed, unintelligible voices in his head. Assuming it was an onset of psychosis, the scientists paid little attention to the man's concerns. Two days later, the man cried that he could hear his dead wife speaking with him, and even more, he could communicate back. The scientists were intrigued, but were not convinced until the subject started naming dead relatives of the scientists. He repeated personal information to the scientists that only their dead spouses and parents would have known. At this point, a sizable portion of scientists left the study. After a week of conversing with the deceased through his thoughts, the subject became distressed, saying the voices were overwhelming. In every waking moment, his consciousness was bombarded by hundreds of voices that refused to leave him alone. He frequently threw himself against the wall, trying to elicit a pain response. He begged the scientists for sedatives so he could escape the voices by sleeping. This tactic worked for three days until he started having severe night terrors. The subject repeatedly said that he could see and hear the deceased in his dreams. Only a day later, the subject began to scream and claw at his non-functional eyes, hoping to sense something in the physical world. The hysterical subject now said the voices of the dead were deafening and hostile, speaking of hell and the end of the world. At one point, he yelled, no heaven, no forgiveness, for five hours straight. He continually begged to be killed, but the scientists were convinced that he was close to establishing contact with God. After another day, the subject could no longer form coherent sentences, Seemingly mad, he started to bite off chunks of flesh from his arm. The scientists rushed into the test chamber and restrained him to a table so he could not kill himself. After a few hours of being tied down, the subject halted his struggling and screaming. He stared blankly at the ceiling as teardrops silently streaked across his face. For two weeks, the subject had to be manually rehydrated due to the constant crying. Eventually... He turned his head, and despite his blindness, made focused eye contact with the scientist for the first time in the study. He whispered, I have spoken with God, and he has abandoned us. And his vital signs stopped. There was no apparent cause of death. This week's podcast stories were edited by Ivan Salazar, Marcia McCarty, and Sabina Graves. Audio edited by Fitz Harris. Graphics by Johnny Ashley. Produced by Annalise Nelson. Music by Sapphire Sandalo. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my dark darlings, sweet dreams.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well.